there, everyone. Welcome to the Women Wired for Wellness podcast presented by Holistic Icon. I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam. This podcast was created to fulfill my obsession for the understanding of why we struggle with symptoms, the science behind them, and the reason why most women suffer for years before they seek solutions for their troubling symptoms. I'm also very passionate about teaching both my patients and people who come in contact with us as it helps me empower myself and them with knowledge. What kind of knowledge are we talking about? The knowledge that our health is probably the one asset we all can control. This control begins with knowing all that has been known about it. It is not simply about knowing a disease and considering medications as the only option, because that might be the only option when you are nearing death. But to truly live a fulfilling life, we need to know how to tap into our innate nature to heal and all the possible qualities, including developing grit, passion, and consistency. If this podcast has helped you or opened your eyes to a different path, please take time to leave a positive review. And if you felt we fell short somehow, would you let us know how to improve it? Now, without any further delay, let's get on with today's podcast. This podcast requires a little more intro than usual. Crazy diets have been a part and parcel of a growing economy and of the first world nations. Our abundance in wealth has made us somehow impoverished in health. In this podcast, we delve into the physiology of the current craze of the keto diet. Do we recommend it? Absolutely not, is my statement for now. There are early studies about the impact of keto diets for some specific health conditions. However, Here are my reservations with the keto diet. Remember, in medical school, we are taught 50% of the information we learn will be outdated by the time we graduate. The problem is we would not know which 50% it is. Similarly, all facts in medicine have a half-life. As of today, I have several reservations with regards to the keto diet. Number one, nowhere in the world has any culture eaten a predominantly keto diet. Even for the condition for which it was first introduced, i.e. seizures, it has been used at the most for four years. After this, seizures do not recur for some reason, even if the person goes back to eating a reasonably normal diet. Number two, no long-term studies exist on an ordinary person. From what I can see, a lot of people in the fitness industry recommend this diet Unfortunately, this is not an ordinary man's life. Most people still exercise only three days a week, about 20 minutes a day. When you really look at it, exercise should be a daily intervention to optimize our health. Fitness folks who actually advocate for this diet exercise two to three hours a day and do a very high-intensity exercise. The results you see in them may not be typical for an ordinary person. Number three, high-fat diets have to be adhered to very strictly with lots of monitoring to make sure you are hitting the target with glucose and ketones. Most people simply believe they are on a ketogenic diet. Both high-protein and high-keto diet 
lead to weight loss initially. If you have not measured your ketones, you're most likely not on a ketogenic diet. That's just a word of caution. Above all, time-tested diets have been whole food, plant-strong diets, so there is absolutely no need for yet another unsustainable diet to be added to this murky confusion. Most studies have consistently pointed to two very important factors for sustainable health and wellness. Number one, natural fibers from whole foods. Number two is fasting. Keto diet is almost a fasting-mimicking diet as the body does not have its primary source of energy readily available, that is glucose. It may be the reason why it works early. However, a word of caution is that we do not know the long-term effects of staying on a prolonged ketogenic diet. For years, high-protein diets have been advocated, and this has been shown to increase a hormone called insulin-like growth factor, or IGF, and this leads to increased incidence of cancer. For the first time, cancer has been beating heart disease as an increased cause of death. Keto diets may actually make this already unsavory competition even more tight. Having said that, I would say it was fun delving into the keto diet, and it may be the only intervention besides fasting for someone plagued with seizures or with type 1 diabetes and a difficult-to-control type 2 diabetes. Without further delay, here is our discussion on this podcast. So this is again Dr. Chalam and Marina from Holistic and Integrative Center of Novi. Hello. And uh, today our topic is um, we're trying to get on the bandwagon with everybody about this ketogenic diet. And um, does ketogenic, is there a scientific basis to the ketogenic diet? Should it be used as therapy um, or should it, is it just another fad like uh, the paleo and the... Um, uh, Atkins, what else? Uh, South Beach, can we count South that? Beach, or not yes, really? zone <laughs> diet, all of those things. So really what, what we like to do is look at the science behind all of these diets and see um, if there is there are people who should be following a ketogenic diet, and if so, who are they? Who Whom would it actually help to um, even try the ketogenic diet for medical reasons? So let's start off with uh, defining what ketosis is. I think most people uh, remember um, the word ketones and ketosis, even in the medical world, is connected to diabetes. So there are three types of ketosis. Number one is the diabetic keto, but the diabetic is a ketoacidosis. There's an acid. The word acid is there with it. The other one is starvation ketosis. And the third one is what everybody's on, which is the nutritional ketosis. So we'll get into what ketosis is. Before that, I want to explain a few things about the physiology of the body and why the ketogenic diets have even become um, uh, so popular. Um, what we find is the body is adapted for us to, really the adaptation of the body is for us to survive. So we have storage of energy. And energy is uh, commonly stored in the form of glycogen. So glucose is our um, immediate source of energy. That's our cash, right? Mm -hmm. You want energy, you just pull out some glucose. Where is the glucose stored? In the bank, which is our liver, glycogen. That's the word 
and that's the uh, when they are um, formed in a storage for, uh, for, uh, form, uh, form, it is in the liver as glycogen. It's also stored in the muscle. So when you look at the amount of calories in the liver, let's say you have no access to food, the amount of calories in the liver is around about, I think, 350, I'd have to look at uh, about four, yeah, around 480 grams of glucose is stored in the liver. Let me look up one more. And in your muscle, you have, um, um, that's 480 calories is in the liver and about 1,000 calories in the muscle. 480 calories in the liver? No. 480 calories in the liver. It's about 120 grams of glycogen. Mm. So when you actually break that, 120 times 4 is what? That's what 480. it is, 480. 480. Oh. So 480 calories in the liver and 1,000 calories in the muscle approximately. Fat cells carry 100,000 calories. So I was going to say, that liver number didn't sound right, but now it makes more sense. With so when fat. you have okay. fat, you have approximately, like an average, mm -hmm. I think a 70 kilogram uh, male would have 100,000 calories. What that tells us is if we don't have access to food, as long as you have access to water, for three months, you can get food from these stores. Three months? Three months, 90 Man. days. You can actually be without food. <laughs> I get cranky after a couple hours. <laughs> actually, we'll talk about what happens with the mood. So there is a study. There's one guy, I think he was fasting on just a water and minerals for 395 days, 98 days. That's there as an article. I, I, I thought it was fascinating how fasting uh, can be. So um, don't try he, this at home. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's for sure. So one of the things to remember is um, our goal is to understand, look, so these are our calorie pouches in our body. So what happens when you sleep at night? You're basically starving, right? And after about 12 hours, let's say even if you slept for eight hours and then you take a couple of hours to get to have your first meal, the body actually will, um, since no glucose is coming in, it empties the glycogen stores mm -hmm. from the liver. So there's always some glucose in your blood. And there's always a little insulin in your blood. Now, the difference between um, the diabetics and people who are in nutritional ketosis or starvation ketosis is the diabetics do not have insulin. We're talking about type 1 diabetes, not or the end stage of type 2 where you know they haven't taken care of themselves all their insulin producing cells are dead, they can become insulin requiring diabetics towards the end of their diabetes. So in these two uh, folks, there is no insulin. So it's a little different. What happens is the first 24 hours, the liver empties all of its stores. So your bank gets empty. The glycogen becomes glucose. You feed your cells. Because when you're starving, there's only two things that the body is going to do. Number one, feed the brain. Number two, preserve muscle mass. So for that to happen, first it'll empty its stores from the liver. What happens to the glycogen in the muscle? That cannot be emptied into the blood. It does not have an enzyme that will do the last transition from the muscle. So once you store glucose in the muscle, it's trapped. It's used only in the muscle. It's used activity. only in the muscle for the activity, exactly. So 
the amount of um, the number of days you can actually starve without food is determined by how much you utilize your activity. So you'll find people who go on a food, uh, what do you call it, a fast, like in the jail setting or for political reasons, they just sit there and fast. So that fasting, they can go on for weeks before you want to sit and negotiate with them anything because they do have the potential to go on for weeks. Now, if a person is very thin, remember the 100,000 calories is non-existent in them. Mm -hmm. If they have no fat, they are less likely to survive that many days or so many months. So the three things that have to be intact, you should have good glycogen storage in your liver. You should have good fat pockets that carry the extra source of energy for you to go into, and then you should have insulin for you to go into ketosis without affecting uh, the pH balance of your blood. So let's talk about diabetic ketoacidosis, which is seen in di type 1 diabetes. So it, uh, type 1 diabetics is, I'm sorry, drank a real spicy soup and and it's all I can smell it. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> we made the soup with our uh, in-house um, lunchbox, yeah. which we'll talk about in a, at a different time. But uh, getting back to um, in diabetic ketoacidosis, type 1 diabetes, what happens is there's not enough insulin. Oh, there's no insulin. There's no insulin at all. So when glucose comes in, the there is no way to push that glucose into the cells. So the cells are starved. So it, it is a starvation mode for the cell. So what happens is the liver empties the glycogen, but after 24 hours, there's no more glycogen to empty. So what it starts doing, it's very smart because it doesn't want to break down the muscle. It converts, it converts fat into ketones. Ketones are breakdown of the fatty acids without uh, going into the, um, what do you call, the citric acid cycle. So literally they go, they enter the citric acid cycle, but mostly the energy comes from fat cells. The fat cells that hold the fat will also break down and give, feed the liver with these fatty acids, which gets converted to ketones. Now remember, ketone comes from a fat body. What you have to also keep in mind is one gram of carbohydrate gives you four calories. One gram of protein gives you four calories. One gram of fat gives you nine calories. And what is a calorie? The calorie is the heat required to raise the temperature of water by one degree from, I think, 14.5 to 15.5 or something at, at a one atmospheric pressure. That is the calorie. So to extract the energy from fat, we have to put in a lot more effort, right? So when in a diabetic ketoacidosis, because this complete lack of, it's not even like um, the body has the uh, impact of insulin because there's no insulin. They cannot produce any kind of glucose. It's, it's just high glucose, nothing to control this, lots of ketone bodies are formed, and you form almost like 15 to 25 uh, millimoles of ketones, which shifts, these are acidic particles, mm -hmm. and they shift the acid, so they go into acidosis. Once you're in an acidic state, you can go into coma, and you know it becomes a life-threatening situation. However, when you're doing starvation, the ketosis that happens is very little more minimal. Two things happen, like there's always uh, the body breaks down, uh, first it 
gets rid of the glycogen, makes uh, empties, gives you all the glucose possible. Once the glucogen, uh, glucose stores are emptied, the next thing it does, it grabs protein. But it doesn't grab the big muscle mass protein. It grabs the secretions, like the pancreatic secretions, the uh, lining of the cell's protein from there, and then converts it into glucose called gluconeogenesis. That means we're making glucose from a non-carbohydrate source. Mm -hmm. That goes on underlying. It's not enough to supply the amount of glucose we need when we start. So the body has to get the fat uh, sources and produce the ketones for energy. All right. So you have some glucose, some insulin, and uh, some ketones. The ketones do not go as high as in a type 1 diabetic. It only goes as far as 0.5 to 3 millimoles. At the most, 5 to 7 if you are excellent in getting uh, to a stage of ketosis. But usually in starvation, it's really 0. 0. 0.5 to 1 maybe. And depending on how many hours or how many days you are starving. Now, what happens when there's only ketones? Why do we produce ketones? Because brain can only use glucose, but it can extract energy from ketones. Remember, the body's job is only feed the brain, and second job is to preserve muscle. So it's not going to go for your protein first. It's always going to go for your fat after the glucose. So um, the Ketones, once they get to the brain, the brain has to adjust to, before cash was easy, now it has to cash a check, right? It has to cash the ketones to get energy, but once it does, we have what is called adaptation. And we find after several weeks of fasting, the requirement for the brain for glucose goes down from 120 grams to just uh, 40 goes down significantly. So it's not dependent on glucose. It's still There is still some glucose being produced. If you still have your insulin and if you still have protein resources, you're getting what we call the gluconeogenesis, but it's not enough to as when we eat, not enough energy as when we eat. The muscle also begins to, actually the rest of the body also, the requirement for all of the energy that comes from glucose goes down. Literally, we're just using only 20 grams of glucose at that point, several weeks into starvation. So how does all this translate into uh, nutritional ketosis? So years ago in 1920s, when they found a group of kids, this was way before a Dalantin, which is a common seizure medicine in the olden days, now we rarely use it, was found. They found for seizures, there was really no solution. So they had a group of, I think, 20 adults and children. They, what they did is they just took away food from them. And they found when they starved, their seizures got better. And that was fascinating. And, and nobody, and the doctors who did this did not necessarily document this very well. What prompted them to? To do the starvation? You know, I don't know if it was, uh, I, the, really the backstory is not very clear because there was no much documentation. It was just noticed that when they starved, they actually had less seizures. So in, uh, I think it was Harvard School of Medicine, two other doctors said, okay, let's see what this is all about. But if you actually go back to the Hippocrates time, there is a part where he does document that uh, starvation reduces seizures. Mm -hmm. And so this is actually very fascinating. So we have this connection between brain health and ketones. And uh, sometime uh, later part of 1920, there was a 
always anything in medicine begins with the consumer, right? So there was this fitness guru who actually had, I forget his name now, but he had, uh, he noticed the minute people come in for, uh, with uh, ailments, metabolic ailments, hypertension, obesity, at that time they called it corpulence, the heaviness, like the richer people were always mm -hmm. heavy because they had more access to, they liked white flour because it yes. was fluffy and all of those things. So what he found is if he starved people, they got better. In fact, every disease got better if you just starved people. That's and what we should be doing. I mean, <laughs> we've been talking about intermittent fasting for such a long time. That's true. So, um, Again, two other doctors at Harvard, they decided we're going to look at why this happens and they found these fatty acids floating in the blood and the higher the fatty acids, the better the seizure control. And that's how the ketones were discovered. Now, as let's, uh, you know, fast forward to now, our focus is a first world country problem, right? We're not struggling with starvation, we're struggling with abundance. Mm -hmm. So what they find with the, 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 these are scientists, I think way back in 2003, 4, or 8, 6, I think these things have been studied. They find, actually ketones were initially studied um, probably for the seizures part, but there was also uh, a scientist, I think I can't remember the paper again. What he did is he had uh, cancer cell lines and he would put them in petri dishes with different nutrition, glucose for one and lactate for another, and he put ketones. The one in the ketones would not grow, mm -hmm. the cancers. So they rechecked it and they found that ketones actually somehow suppress cancer cells. So the, and again, there was a lot of research being done here and there about nutritional ketosis where you feed people only fat. We're talking about 80% of your diet comes from fat sources or fatty sources, not to be confused with protein diet, high protein diet. This is not a high protein diet. This is pretty much 80% of your uh, food comes from fat. We're talking about, I think they used sour cream, cheese, egg, bacon, I mean pretty much just fatty stuff, not necessarily steak and fish okay. and like, so that's the difference there. What about oils? What they use? Oils, a lot of oils, but they use saturated fat like okay. butter and, um, you know, I guess more of the saturated um, stuff rather than actually using uh, polyunsaturated. Mm -hmm. We'll get into why, what shifts need to happen. So when they did that, what they found is people could go into an artificial keto ketosis state. That means the cells were not getting glucose. Remember, glucose is our cash. We need the cash. Now, every cell and the brain had to use check. They had to cash the check. So when they did that, a few things happened. Inflammation went down. People's brain actually became a little sharper. They started losing weight like crazy, especially people who've been struggling with the low-fat diet, exercise, um, you know, uh, trying various, the paleo, and they would gain weight. Keto, the nutritional ketosis completely changed that. So this study was done where they did a high-saturated fat, low-carbohydrate diet, and all of the men um, in that, I think the, more than the shift of weight loss, what they noticed is the triglycerides went down, cholesterol went down, blood sugar went down, and it completely blew everybody's mind. Because if you look from Ansel Keys, um, all of the uh, recommendations, especially through, through the U.S. government, is low-fat, low-fat, low-fat. And they could not necessarily explain why this happened. However, 
it's very important to note these were people who were high fat, low carbs. And it's actually low refined carbs. It wasn't even carbs. None of the carbohydrate studies are done with vegetables, other than probably the Mediterranean diet. Majority of them are carbs, like bread, pasta, noodles. So it's not even, you cannot even, the carbs, uh, we, we look at, there are good carbs, bad carbs, and the good carbs are plants, pretty much fruits and vegetables. The bad carbs are anything that is processed. It doesn't matter whether you make pasta from lentils, or pasta from rice, or pasta from wheat. They're all bad carbs. They're processed carbs. So it's kind of unfair to like, you know, say vegetables are carbs, really, in that sense. You know, <laughs> it's it is, I know. a very large category. It is a huge category, but when they say carbs, most people want to move away from carbs, and they want to move towards a fatty and a high-protein diet. So here's what we have to understand. Now somebody who's taking 80% fat, which means um, if you have, um, like, a, if you do it 100%, you're literally doing 20% is between carbs and protein. Right. Um, you're looking at somewhere between 5 and 20 grams of carbohydrates, which would be two slices of bread the whole day. Mm -hmm. And literally, that's what they do is like, it's processed carbs, refined carbs. Now, the question of saturated fats, LDL and oils, all of these come into play. What they also found there was a small subset of people, the keto diet completely bumped. Their cholesterol went high, their um, inflammatory markers went high, their lipoproteins went high, and actually their insulin resistance and fatty level went south. It mm -hmm. literally got worse. So a lot of these studies, I would say, were done on men. I'm not really sure I was able to extract studies on women. I find women's, most women who are extremely morbidly obese, actually ketogenic diets do work for them initially. So here's what I would say. So 80% of it is fat. Your body is sensing a low glucose um, and there's low levels of insulin. So remember, insulin promotes storage of energy to glycogen as well as um, the triacylglycerols, which is the fat, into the adipose tissue. You don't have insulin, all of the those are breaking down. And so to stay in ketosis, a lot of times it's a lot of work. Number one, you have to have a sustainable diet. Uh, people sustain it two, three years now, I think has been the uh, length of time. I don't think we have a long study as yet, but uh, sustainability has been an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, you have to remember it doesn't work for everyone. If you're on a ketogenic diet, and sometimes it may not, you may think it's not working, but if you haven't measured, are you producing enough keto? So you have to actually have either the keto strips or you have to have a keto meter um, and check your ketones. And they have to be between um, one to two, most likely for you to be in successful, at least three to five would be even better. Then you will really deplete all of your fat stores. So people who say it doesn't work for them probably were not in ketosis. Maybe their consumption of carbohydrates was still high. For instance, avocado is a lot of carbs. It's not just fat. Um, and sometimes when you use uh, vegetables, if you're on the vegan or vegetarian keto, you have to use a lot of oils. Mm -hmm. So the oil is more than the vegetables. Greens are a good source, but olives and all of that. But if you're doing meat, 
a lot of times I would say get your blood tested, get your genetics tested. There's a very small group of people, initially ketosis actually works and then later on it goes to a point where you begin to gain weight. It's not as bad as the Atkins diet. Atkins diet you literally go, you know, you lose the most weight and then you go all the way up. The other difference is the ketosis in um, nutritional ketosis where you're actually eating a lot of fat uh, producing these ketones mainly because fat becomes the main source of energy. The body becomes efficient in withdrawing cash from this check instead of trying to just go to the easier, uh, easier version, which is the glucose. Um, a lot of times uh, the body adapts to effectively extract that energy. And then you said it takes about three weeks. It's about, yeah. Uh, they say, um, oh, it'll take about... I would say some people it takes 30 days to get there. Okay. Um, some day, sometimes it takes two weeks. Mm -hmm. It will take two weeks, but you have to calculate the amount of fat. You need to calculate also the amount of protein. If your protein is high, you will stimulate insulin, right? The whole goal of a ketogenic diet, you got to keep your insulin low. So if your protein has to be at 1.2 or 1 1.5 uh, grams per kilogram. So if you are a 50-kilogram woman, it's different than if you're a 100-kilogram woman. You'd have to change your protein intake. Your carbohydrate intake should be, if you want to really lose weight, it has to be 5 grams. That is brutal. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're drinking oil. You're drinking oil by the cups. Or it has to be 20 grams. And it can be from a vegetable source if you want to keep it healthy. So... Uh, what are the conditions of uh, ketosis? This I'm going to use the article. Let me tell you. It's called the Beyond Weight Loss, a review of therapeutic uses of very uh, low-carbohydrate ketogenic diets, not paleo, not high-protein. So what they found is uh, cardiovascular, uh, the risk actually goes, uh, the risk um, markers go down, which is your LDL, lousy cholesterol, goes down. Um, there is a reduced formation of cholesterol. It's very interesting. It's like there's an abundance of fats so the body doesn't need to mm -hmm. make cholesterol. Right. I don't know what it is. And there's a reduction in the blood insulin levels. And when there's insulin levels are low, you don't store as much fat. So that could be one of the reasons why your weight loss is also impacted. In diabetes, in fact, there's a company called uh, Verta that actually does only, they call it reversal of diabetes through a ketogenic diet. But true reversal of any disease means you went on a ketogenic diet and then you stop the ketogenic diet and now you can eat a bowl of rice and your sugar doesn't go up. That is reversal. But I don't think that's truly what happens. You, you have to stay on a low-carb, high-fat diet for the rest of your life to be in reversal um, of the diabetes unless you add other things and uh, find the exact cause of your diabetes, like insulin resistance from the HOMA IR being blocked or lack of chromium, whatever it may be. So they find that uh, it reduces blood sugar levels. Um, it also uh, increases the... Uh, um, the um, rebuild of mitochondria. Mitochondria is your energy producing machine. That's why the heightened um, uh, energy and uh, alertness comes. Remember, when the body thinks you're starving, it's going to make you alert, <laughs> looking for food. That's how it is, right? It's a, it's a fascinating, the more I learn, the less I know, but it's really, it gets so alert because now it's looking for food because it says, don't die of starvation. We're going to have to find something. 
So it actually improves your mitochondria. It reverses the insulin hepatic uh, resistance. That means insulin, the job of insulin is to help you store glucose as glycogen. It also, besides we think it's actually to push the glucose away from the blood into the cells, but it actually helps the, um, prevents the reduction, release of glucose into the blood from the liver and also storing it in the liver. Weight reduction, it reduces appetite. Now we think the reduction in appetite is because you feel full fast. It, there's so much of fat, it takes a long time to metabolize the fat and that's why there's probably uh, weight reduction initially. And there's also a uh, um, reduction of um, formation of fat pockets and mm -hmm. this breakdown of fat is a little higher. Again, I think it's for energy, to give energy to the cells. But the most common condition it has been used for and it's still considered therapeutic even in the traditional medical world is for epilepsy or seizures. And uh, what it does is it, it really helps with the neurotransmitter activity and it has a direct anti-seizure activity. That means directly it suppresses the seizure of the cells. Um, the other parts that are being actually uh, studied is now for cancer. Now, once again, none of what I say is medical advice. I want to emphasize that. These are only studies, and so now I don't want somebody who has cancer saying, I'm going to go on a ketogenic diet and not get chemo. You do it in conjunction with your treatment, the chances of recurrence is much less, right? So you're looking at reduction. Um, they think the reduction in the cancer cells is somehow related to the insulin glucose uh, relationship. So once again, it's glucose and cancer cells. Um, PCOS, the polycystic ovarian syndrome, again, through insulin, there's a reduction it, in it. Um, neurological disease, like you have tremors, you have degenerative neurological disease, and they again find it just somehow through the um, production of cholesterol, production of in, uh, reduction of the insulin levels. These are the things that help that. Now, this was a surprise to me. Acne actually also is assisted by ketogenic diet. In the past, when you look at the vegan world, they talk about an oil-free diet for acne, and um, I was kind of surprised to see that ketogenesis um, actually impacts um, skin conditions too. So it looks like the ketogenic diet seems to be the answer for all of our issues, right? Short term, at least. Maybe. Yeah. So <laughs> please don't stop the podcast right there. There's always a but. Yeah, there is a but. Yeah. You have to know if you are a candidate for a ketogenic diet, number one. Number two, that's through blood test. Number two, you need to know that you are actually in ketosis when you're doing the ketogenic diet. You cannot just say, I'm eating a high-fat diet. If you're not measuring, the chances are you're not in ketosis. Mm -hmm. So measure your ketones. And I think the science is evolving to the point because we want to improve our brain health. They are making ketones now. So you can actually consume ketones during the starvation to improve your body's adaptation to utilizing more fat. So we're basically messing around with our nature, right? So let me also add here, all of these studies have been, um, you know, kept uh, somewhat short-term, have been studied to see what is the best. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen that the Mediterranean diet uh, was considered really the best. However, I would say this, many, a lot of times the only commonality, the one thing that improved everybody's health, it's not ketogenic, it is not paleo, it is not um, uh, in a South Beach zone or whatever it is, it is actually fiber. 
Mm-hmm. If you don't have fiber, even those folks who do the ketogenic diet, if they're actually uh, cooking their vegetables in a lot of good oil. Now, the saturated and the polyunsaturated are a whole different story. Um, there is a certain uh, role for saturated, but predominantly right now, we, we, we're not out of the woods to say, oh, you can have saturated fat all the time. Really not. There are certain times of the year, maybe saturated fats is okay, like in the winter season and uh, cold season, but also it also depends on your genetics. For instance, Eskimos, they don't, they don't necessarily have access to plants. They're on a higher fat diet. They do have cardiovascular disease, but a little later in life. Earlier part, they don't die. Like if we ate like Eskimos sitting here and not having that adaptation, we don't have the genetic adaptation, we probably will develop cardiovascular disease. So that's called a genetic polymorphism. That means what your ancestors ate, they adapt to the land to which they go. That's why we always say buy seasonal, buy regional food, because your adaptation is to wherever you are from. So if you get an Eskimo to go down to uh, a different state, uh, let's say New York, and start eating all of the processed food, they probably will die and have diabetes. Mm -hmm. So you have to really look at what is your genetic trait. Can you actually go uh, do a ketogenic diet? Number two, when you're doing ketogenic diet, are you truly in ketosis? Are you able to do the four parts to one part Um, or two parts, even three parts to one part initially, and then two parts to one part. That means two parts fat, two parts, one part carb, one part um, protein. Protein. Mm -hmm. That's how you would uh, design the diet. And uh, you have to measure the ketosis. It'll be great if you can measure your insulin levels and your blood glucose levels. If all three initially when you go in, that should be the approach and um, see if that actually works for you. Now, the theoretical part about ketogenic diet because we don't have long-term studies to tell you what are the things that can go wrong but there have been studies in rats and mice with their um, cell lines what they find is remember i told you one gram of carbohydrate is four calories and protein one gram is four calories but one gram of fat is nine calories you but to extract that it's a lot more effort. Mm-hmm. We it have, takes longer. Too. It takes longer. You have to really work hard. The cells have to work hard. What they found in one of the studies, and I can't remember, I wanted to pull that article for the podcast, but so I could give it to you guys. But it is an article that um, talks about um, intermittent fasting. What they found is if the cardiovascular, the muscle, the myocardium has to pull energy from fatty acids, eventually it does get overworked. Mm -hmm. And there is evidence of what we call cardiomyopathy. So cardiovascular disease can be completely impacted in the long run if you're on a long-term ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. Um, And Again, how ketogenic diet will work for you is dependent on your gut bacteria, number one. Number two, how well your body can extract or how well your body is adapted to the ketosis. And, uh, of course, the um, kind of fats you're adding, saturated fats, if you have a genetic trait like the APOE4, it's probably not a great idea. And if you have a lot of inflammation markers, in fact, I've had a lot of my patients who do very well take coconut oil and the minute they walk in and I look at their blood test, I know they're on a saturated fat Mm -hmm. because everything goes up. Their cholesterol goes up. I'm not worried about LDL going up, but if your lipoproteins and your inflammatory markers go up, that's 
very important. That's your risk for cardiovascular disease. So if you want to truly start on a ketogenic diet, a few things have to happen. You got to get your genetic testing. You got to get your blood test done. I would also recommend a coronary calcium score mm -hmm. to make sure you don't have pre-existing coronary artery disease. I would recommend an EKG to make sure nothing, you know, we're not missing anything. And then work with a professional who knows how to design your diet for you. So saying, and also uh, get the keto meter or the um, insulin continuous glucose monitoring, keeping your glucose uh, pretty much low and keeping your um, ketone levels between three and five. I think that's really what you need to hone into in order to uh, get the impact or the effectiveness of the ketogenic diet. Unfortunately, a lot of people slowly move from the ketogenic into the paleo, into the Atkins diet, and mm -hmm. that can cause a problem. You should not have constipation. In fact, in ketogenic diet, it's a great bowel prep because there's so much fat, <laughs> a lot of oils. So switching to polyunsaturated fatty acids or monounsaturated fatty acids like the avocado oil and uh, uh, the walnut oil, uh, olive oil is better than doing coconut, butter, and ghee. Um, that's what I would say. So let me see if the are. Um, we'll start from the beginning because you've got some comments piled up here. I know this is like a difficult topic. How do I see more? Oh no. All right. Well, so we'll start from the top. <laughs> okay. What are your thoughts on dairy-free, clean keto? So again, um, as long as you create a sustainable ketogenic diet, I would really recommend taking blood tests. You need to know how your body is processed. When you say dairy-free, there obviously needs are involved, and unfortunately, I I do believe we are eating more protein than we need. A woman needs anywhere from 50 to 60 grams of protein, even if she's working out, probably at the most 100. We're consuming almost 200 grams of pro, uh, protein. So you want to be careful with regards to the protein uh, from animal sources. So uh, dairy-free is definitely, I would recommend, and I think a lot of the issues with the dairy um, is, is really the farming, our soil, the grass. Even if you get grass-fed, uh, we're still seeing a lot of inflammation in the gut from dairy products. Um, so again, I would say please go ahead and check, uh, look at your blood test, look at your genetic markers, and then determine should you be uh, on this path of ketogenic diet. Um, how are you doing on the diet? Any point is, oh, my diet, I, you know, I have to, I just started, I'm not necessarily liking it. Um, I, just so the rest of you know, I think our uh, community knows I am on a vegan keto diet. So I've been like overdosing on nuts and olives and uh, avocado to some degree and eating only mushrooms and greens. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hating every minute of it, but that's because I haven't figured out a good uh, recipe for myself to have like I, I'm a huge vegetable eater so I'm gonna have to figure that out but I think it will once I get into a, a keto uh, I don't think I'm in ketosis still because I feel fabulous you actually will get a keto uh, uh, a ketosis fever you'll feel like you have the flu when you're completely depleted of glucose and mm -hmm. your source of uh, ketones is the only source of energy so I have to get to that point um, but so far I'm enjoying the diet because it keeps me full I would say that that's happening. I'm actually pretty full. You're actually complaining about being full. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I am actually nauseated enough to say I'm too full. Um, 
do you develop keto plans and also do you uh, do yes actually we do we do all of that and we do develop keto plans we need to know why you want to go on keto uh, ketosis because if it is uh, weight loss we have to develop a different plan than if you're trying to reverse diabetes all of those things will go into um, the plan and we do the blood and genetic testing to see exactly if you are a good fit for a keto diet and make sure that you're doing it safely as well correct and um, uh, what do you think about using exogenous ketones to transition into ketosis rather than allowing your body to do adapt naturally? So I think the studies have to be done for that. Uh, they are doing studies. They think the exogenous uh, uh, ketones actually work. The ketone esters work. The ketone salts work. Um, but again, you know, um, as you're transitioning, uh, you again, like I said, you need to know why you're actually doing the ketosis for, right? You want to know, um, are you trying to do it for brain health? Are you doing it for seizures? Are you doing it for weight loss? So all of that comes into play. And uh, I think they do work, but I don't think we have enough studies to say just do the exogenous uh, ketones and then have your body adapt to extracting energy from ketones. Uh, you men mentioned continuous glucose monitoring. Do you recommend this for non-diabetic? Absolutely. So we do, actually, a lot of our patients, uh, when they um, start a process, especially when they have insomnia, they're waking up in the middle of the night, I do recommend continuous glucose monitoring. The system that is really available easily is the Libre. Uh, glucose monitoring is not the best, but I think if you do the continuous glucose monitoring, you can see, and this was the other study, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because the, the study is we think oh there's let's go on a low carb um, no glucose diet and that probably is best but they found when they gave glycogen they actually gave glucose and they did the continuous glucose monitoring some people little glucose their glucose jumped blood glucose jumped and others nothing actually happened so you need to know your that's why it is really about personalized approach so i think the continuous glucose monitoring and your diet and looking at the ketone meter and the ketone strips are very important to say are you truly in ketosis and is this a good diet for you um any other questions? The difference between the Mediterranean and keto diets. Oh, huge difference, right, Jane? Um, so the Mediterranean diet has a lot of plants, seeds, nuts, and fish, uh, protein, oils. and oils. It does have, but predominantly it has a lot of fiber. Um, so that's why it's determined to be the best. And I think the, uh, the best diet comes down to what is the most sustainable diet. Mm -hmm. um, but getting a keto dessert is very high. Uh, I mean, very difficult, right? You want to make a, a dessert, you have to do xylitol maybe as a sweetener. And um, eating out is very hard on a keto diet. Um, pretty much you, uh, maybe we will have keto restaurants like in, instead of the vegan restaurants. Oh, I'm sure New York has them. <laughs> but they should have also. Then you are a keto vegan and it becomes even harder. Right. So um, I, I think um, the Mediterranean diet is completely different. It's a very, very high fiber uh, diet. And then the other thing about the Mediterranean diet, very important, as much as we tout the um, uh, the benefits of a Mediterranean diet, truly the Mediterranean diet is about the camaraderie and collegiality. Mm -hmm. You sit down, you, it's a happy, uh, it's truly a happy hour 
because it's wine also, but they are, um, it's with family members. You're not sitting and eating a Mediterranean diet on your own. So I think there are so many factors in the Mediterranean diet that actually improve the cardiovascular risk. And secondly, it's all locally uh, sourced food mm -hmm. and their food actually changes based on the um, season. So um, ideally, I think that's that's probably where we fail. A Mediterranean diet hasn't caught on in the United States. Otherwise, we wouldn't be fighting cardiovascular, um, though I think the vegan diet is best for cardiovascular. And I mean, there's so many factors, too, that we like to clump everything together. You can have keto and you can still have a lot of processed foods. You can have keto and mm -hmm. have vegan. You can have a Mediterranean diet in America and you're eating a bunch of really processed pasta that has pesticides and stuff in it. Right. So there's so many factors there too. And like you said, the camaraderie and, you know, our way of life is completely different. If you bring an Eskimo here and they're eating processed foods, everything's going to change for them as well. And I think that's the key thing in all of the studies on diets. First of all, it's very difficult to con con uh, conduct a dietary only intervention study because people can lie or not remember about what they're eating. It's and very common also because they have done this. There's a specific word for it. I forgot the name. But they ask people, what do you eat? And they would tell them one thing, and they would check their trash. <laughs> yeah. And they would find a lot of processed foods that apparently nobody is eating. Yeah. So they're throwing up boxes. I even, even I think the largest study, the Women's Health Initiative, a lot of women later on said that they didn't, they actually lied on their uh, survey. So we're creating dietary we're plans. We're all bunch of liars. Yeah. <laughs> based on studies that don't have a truthful basis. So really... Diet has to be very personalized. What do you have? What are your hormones doing? What are your cells doing? What are your genetics? So to just jump, and you know, it, nothing drives me more crazy than when everybody says, just add fat to your diet. That's what needs to be. Mm -hmm. The American Heart Association is out to get you. They're not out to get you. There are studies one way or the other that show like, yeah, saturated fats do. I mean, there was a huge study in uh, UK uh, where they had, they had the Singh community, was a part of um, India, and the men were getting heart attacks, and pretty much that community was using ghee as the only source of fat. So it's not the right thing for everyone. It may be the right thing for one person and the other person. you got to look. If you're not testing, you're just guessing, and I have a lot of women who come and say, I went on a ketogenic diet, I've lost all my weight. I always wonder how long that's going to last mm -hmm. because at some point, if you're not able to sustain it, it is going to revert back. So a lot of this is sustainability. And even like, you know, you go on two protein shakes a day, you're going to lose weight. I don't think losing weight is an issue. It's the sustainability of all of these things, sustainability of your blood sugars. Do you know what your body actually needs? Do you know how your body responds to the food? Uh, there are so many variables. You have to look at your gut microbiome. Ultimately, no matter how you uh, slice and dice it, if there is not enough of good fiber in your diet, you probably will not have very much sustainable health. If you're going to do a ketogenic diet, you've got to be exercising on a regular basis, choosing the right kind of fats, um, choosing the right kind of carbs, choosing the right amount of proteins, making sure you're in ketosis for it to be therapeutic. And even also to mention, if you are doing a long-term, people say they feel better initially. They're losing weight, of course. You feel great about yourself. That's going to have, you know, a huge um, potential for you're going to feel better. But is it even worth going long-term with it? What are the other side effects on your cardiovascular health and all these other things that really haven't been studied yet? Same thing with the Atkins diet. 
you're getting dropped out from a heart attack, maybe. We don't yeah. know. It depends on you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It has to be personalized. And I am not familiar with the shape reclaimed. I'm sorry. Uh, so I don't know what to tell you about that program. Somebody just asked that. Um, I think we are almost done with the questions, correct? And if we didn't answer someone's questions, I think they might have disappeared and I don't know how to get them back. So the earlier questions, I know there were some and we missed them and I maybe we'll go back and answer them. I'm just not sure how to pull them up right now. So. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I, I think I I think unless we get it like right away, it's um, difficult to get to the questions. But I think um, in general, uh, to summarize, you want to go on a ketogenic diet. First, define why you want to do it. Is it for weight loss? Is it to reduce your insulin resistance, control your diabetes, control your seizures, improve your brain health, whatever it may be. The first thing, the great thing about any of these diets is all of them remove processed foods. Whether you do Atkins, Paleo, uh, Vegan, um, Keto, they all remove processed foods. Number two, you want to get to uh, actually get into ketosis. Within a week of starting the ketogenic diet, you have to be in ketosis, which means you have to hit your insulin down so low, your glucose so low that the body is going to utilize your fat stores to produce the ketones. And then you got to stay in ketosis and see how you feel. You won't get the ketone smell of diabetic ketoacidosis because that is like a very high level of keto, uh, ketones. And if you're one of those that can quickly go in and out of ketosis, you can do this for short term. I, I don't know how much the fasting mimicking diet, which we have spoken about, Maybe people could do one week a month a ketogenic diet if they can if their body can adapt and that's where the exogenous ketones, which means you consume ketones. A common one will be MCT oil. I think people use a lot of MCT, but remember they are synthesized. These are all synthetic um, stuff. You do the MCT oil and get yourself into ketosis. So the, several options are there, and I. Think, um, Joel asked about intermittent fasting. Yeah, intermittent fasting will put you into the starvation ketosis, Joel. But if you do intermittent fasting and a ketogenic diet, you could probably stay in ketosis a little longer. It's just um, uh, pretty much, I think that'll be um, an awesome combination, theoretically speaking. I just don't know if how many people will do it. I, I Probably most people in ketosis do have long periods of starvation because they're so full for so long, they may not be eating uh, like people who would generally eat carbs. Yeah, so I, I, I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. And how does this differ from prolonged fast? So the prolonged fast is actually not ketosis, right? It is actually giving you a very low calorie, does somewhat get you into a ketosis, um, like tricks the brain into thinking you're in a starvation mode, right? So when it uh, kind of uh, does that to the brain. Uh, you, remember, intermittent fasting is about the apoptosis, which means you're removing all the um, broken down cell, cleaning up the system, um, and uh, rejuvenating the body. That's what it is about. And that fasting was found to be beneficial for cancer. And cancer patients are drawn towards sugar. They want to eat sweets. They want to drink pop because their cells are very defective. And they do have these cravings towards sugar, so they would not fast. So the fasting-mimicking diet was brought on. That's the prolon was brought on to help these patients. So they're eating something, but it's like 800 calories a day. 
and we're still trying to get some degree of starvation of the cells. That's how it's different. So it's not necessarily a ketogenic diet. Um, and I think that's pretty much the question. So hopefully I have um, helped people understand where keto ketogenic diet is not for everyone. Number two, if you're going to do it right, do it with little professional help. Do check your ketones, your blood sugars, and insulin. And that's something that we will recommend the meters and the, the strips and all of those things, what is based on um, what you can afford to do. And then always have a reason why you're doing the ketogenic diet. Remember, if you want to do it for long term, um, you have to have a transition plan from a high-fat diet to a sustainable diet because after some time, you may be able to bring back a lot of the foods without necessarily getting your blood sugars to spike, but it may take a little longer time because your body has to adapt to the new way of eating. Um, so thank you once again, guys, for those of you who joined. Obviously, this was a topic because we had a lot of questions compared to most of our other podcasts. And once again, remember to go on to iTunes to download um, the podcast. I will create show notes. Um, we are coming up with our new website, which will have all of the show notes and the podcast there for people to download. Please do share this video with uh, any family and friends you think will be helped by a practice like ours because we are a functional medical practice and our goal is to really personalize your care. And um, a lot of times if you don't personalize and you don't make the change for yourself, you're going to be stuck where you are. And our goal is to help you overcome those barriers and get you to your optimal health. So once again, thank you so much for those of you who joined and we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Alrighty then. If you've listened to this podcast fully, I would like to hope you have gained some new knowledge, a different way of thinking, and have benefited from it. If so, would you please do me a favor and share this with your family and friends? I do, however, want to mention that nothing that is stated in this podcast or written in the show notes should be construed as medical advice. We would like you as an individual to seek your medical advice from your specific provider. Our goal has all along been to dig into some existing truths, try and make it simple, so we all have a better understanding of our options out there to live fulfilling lives. It may be also prudent for me to mention the obvious here that no doctor-patient relationship was ever formed. In closing, I am grateful that you joined us and please do not forget to leave a review or share this info. Signing off till next time, I'm your host, Dr. Nisha Chalam.